Welcome to Ormwood Church in Atlanta, Georgia, and to our podcast where we share our Sunday sermons for those in Ormwood Park, Atlanta, and beyond. Our mission is to welcome everyone to explore the living God in all of our neighborhoods, and we value welcoming others, opening our minds, being of service, and participating in whatever ways God calls us. We hope you learn, grow, and find a place to belong with us. Today we are reading the second part of Peter's speech. Um, Acts 2, verses 14, we're going to start with, but then we're going to skip over to verses 36 through 41. So listen now for a word from God. But Peter, standing with the eleven, raised his voice and addressed them, Fellow Jews and all who live in Jerusalem, let this be known to you, and listen to what I say. Therefore, let the entire house of Israel know with certainty that God has made him both Lord and Messiah, this Jesus whom you crucified. Now, when they heard this, the crowd was cut to the heart and said to Peter and to the other apostles, brothers, what should we do? Peter said to them, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, so that your sins may be forgiven, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far away, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to him. And he testified with many other arguments and exhorted them, saying, Save yourselves from this corrupt generation. So those who welcomed Peter's message were baptized. And that day about 3,000 persons were added. Amen. On Thursday night, the leadership team met, and I might have prayed one of my saucier prayers at the end of our meeting. It was a long meeting, not because the meeting went poorly, mostly because it was fun and inspiring and juices were flowing. And I don't remember much of the prayer, only that I used some unusual prayer vocabulary, and I had one moment where I prayed to Jesus, our Lord and Savior. Now, this might have caused a couple people to audibly chuckle, in the group. Um, I rarely kind of bust out that formal language of Jesus is my Lord and Savior because, well, for some of y'all, it's been a bit blemished, we could say, by past experiences. If that's not you, let me explain a little, and then we'll dive into what it meant for Peter in his sermon today and what perhaps impossibly it might mean for you and for me, even if it means reclaiming a few things. In the mid-20th century, things were a bit unstable, right? So culturally speaking, hippies, rock and roll, war, sex, feminism, there were so many giant cultural shifts in the landscape that Americans were living through. And I know we talk about how the times we're living through now are like just one giant cultural explosion after another. And I think in some way, people in the mid-1900s felt that to some extent as well. So, uh, a new emerging evangelical Christian movement shaped a view of Jesus and of God that was kind of watertight, right? It was this get-out-of-jail-card-free. Um, it was simple, reliable formula for God to offer people kind of security in tumultuous times. And really, the big tagline, what you just had to believe in all the ways they believed it, is Jesus Christ is my Lord and Savior. But it meant a few things that we need to unpack. The understanding that was attached to this formulaic kind of understanding of Jesus and of God 
was a lifeboat for many, right? It was a lifeboat that we might say also had some snakes in it, but it was a lifeboat nonetheless that translated this phrase that we find in Acts into a singular understanding of God. And really that, that meant Jesus as a powerful and triumphant figure who was above all concerned with your obedience, your correct belief, and in exchange for that, you get, you know, to believe in this macho God, but you also get this get out of hell card guaranteed. There was protection, there was strength, but you also got to be right in a time where cultural values were being negotiated. If you believe and state that Jesus is your Lord and Savior, you are on the inside track with God. It's that simple. They figured God out. They were safe. And if you want a really interesting take on this or read on this, um, the historian Kristen Dumez wrote a fascinating book called Jesus and John Wayne. But the thing about making God into a formula or perhaps your relationship with God into a simple formula or kind of a matter of cognition or belief is that it often doesn't hold up to the complicated reality that is life and being human both of which happen very much in the presence of the divine in ways we never expect that can't be fit into one kind of phrase, right? Making a watertight explanation of God turns out to kind of mock the actual God who resists such cramped quarters. The smallness of that God doesn't hold up in a world of diversity and suffering and adventure in a world that needs a big God. And this, I believe, was behind some of those chuckles when I prayed on Thursday night that Jesus is our Lord and our Savior. It had those echoes of the historical evangelical simplification of Christianity into this formula. And it, it rings hollow for some, almost laughable. And yet, folks, the words of Peter <laughs> that God has made Jesus both Lord and Messiah or Savior, as we're used to hearing it, are some of the bedrock words of Christianity, not just for the evangelical movement, but for the last two millennia. In every iteration of Christianity over 2,000 years, these words have been a baseline shared liturgy and confession among centuries and cultures. Walking in the Christian faith, instead of, say, a Muslim path, or for Peter's context, a Jewish path, means that in some very real ways that you have decided that Jesus is both your Lord and your Savior. The words are familiar and we sense that they're important, even if slightly muddled by competing cultural assumptions about them. And so I think it would be helpful for us to get some clarity. It, we kind of Clarity requires us to have a deeper dive into Peter's own first utterance among his peers in Jerusalem of Jesus is our Lord and our Messiah. We need to take a deeper look at that first confession of the many that are to come that identify Jesus as Lord and Savior. So Peter, right, his context, as a people entrenched in multiple competing powers, the first century Christians had many people vying to be the Lord in their lives. And obviously one might first think of Caesar, even the coins they were using had the empire's Lord imprinted on it. Some even have the wording of Messiah. The local term Lord meant that the emperor had absolute power over the territories, over the armies, and over the people in the empire. It didn't matter your God or your culture 
or your politics, in the Roman Empire, Caesar was your lord. Now, Christianity threatened that loyalty, right? Christianity offered instead a lord not defined by absolute power over people, but by healing people, forgiving people, feeding people, blessing children. And most shocking, perhaps, Christianity offered a lord who the empire in fear killed, yet couldn't control even with the power of death. In Peter's time, Jesus as Lord was a political rebellion. It was a real line of the values and the loyalties from an empire who deals in crucifixion to the kingdom of God, in which a lost sheep was a valued member and a humble son was offered a feast. It was a bold admission, y'all, that I want someone else to lead me. This is what saying Jesus was Lord meant an expansive invitation to a different, more loving way of living and a refusal to be defined by a human tyrant and instead taking on the lordship of a suffering Messiah. I want someone else to lead me. So let's chat about that Messiah or that savior part. Did the people of Israel expect a savior who would himself be crucified by the empire? Um, like, no. There were many and diverse expectations for the Messiah and the Jewish world in the first century. But most of those expectations shared a common belief, and that was that the Messiah would save people from their political enemies, not be publicly humiliated by them. And yet there was a strand of folks who took to heart that being saved was first an inside job. It was a spiritual salvation, an ethical salvation that the Messiah was going to offer. It was working on people of Israel's or by on the people of Israel's own relationship with God first, political ambitions are second. And I think this is probably more aligned with where Peter's going, right? Hence his focus not on Jesus saving his fellow Jews from their imperial taxes, but more about saving them from their tendency to be complicit with that empire. So complicit with others in power that they murder a person who is offering a new and a loving way of life. There is a deep need of healing. There is a deep need for forgiveness. And that is how Peter frames Jesus's work as a Messiah. Peter talks about forgiveness a lot because they are on the heels of one of the largest mess-ups in human history. They handed over Jesus to be crucified. They're going to need to be honest about what went wrong. They're going to need Jesus's forgiveness or there's really no way forward in a relationship with him. You can't just not talk about the biggest betrayal in a relationship, right? Like we know that. Try doing that in a marriage. Guarantee you it will implode in divorce. Missteps require reconciliation for healing, and healing is exactly what this Messiah does. Jesus saved them in ways they did not expect. Jesus offers them a new way of living in the kingdom of God, not the kingdom of their own making. Jesus offers them forgiveness in the midst of the crucifixion. Jesus offers them a salvation that walks the roads they walk and mends the missteps they put their foot into. Jesus is their Lord 
and their savior, not a pie in the sky, but a generous and tender acknowledgement of harm and the shocking and transformative forgiveness to move forward. So even if you are tempted to, I, I don't want you to hover above these words, Lord and Savior, as if there's some formula for heaven or an island that will keep you safe from a raucous world or that there's something that's part of enemy territory. This declaration of faith defines a relationship with a God who surprised everyone. Peter, the disciples, the 3,000 people listening in Acts chapter 2. A God who used the stuff of their world to shift everyone's perspective. That's what repent means, right? Like the basic definition of repentance is to turn all the way around and go a different direction. Because where the empire was leading them, where fear was leading them, where groupthink was leading them was a dead end, a hell on earth. And Jesus was sent to offer heaven on earth, the kingdom of heaven, even here in our midst. So what does it mean for you to say, that Jesus is your Lord and Savior. I want you to think about it. I don't know what it means for you exactly. I can't answer that question for you. I don't know who your Caesar is. I don't know what roads you're traveling down that are leading to some version of hell. But I do know that we need a leader. We need a Savior. We need a partner in this life that often offers us more than we can muster up for ourselves. So I ask you to think about it. Perhaps even say it out loud to yourself a few times. Jesus is my Lord and my Savior. Try it on for size if you haven't said it in a while, or if you have only said it sarcastically. Jesus is our Lord and our Savior. Jesus is our Lord, our leader, and our Savior, our Messiah. Amen. <laughs>